To be clear, this was my first time playing Assassin's Creed Unity, so I was walking in with only a couple of expectations. That's kind of the first thing I want to mention. This game came out in the era of the one Assassin's Creed every year problem. And I definitely say problem there. Oh, don't mistake me. I think they could have pulled that off. I just don't think they did. All they would have had to do, a hull they would have had to do, is have a very tight and careful management structure to allow for the passing of information and the coordination between teams to allow for a nice fluid development cycle, which meant that they could hand off information across teams and thus kind of stagger the, the development between the, the two or three or four teams in order to make that happen. Instead, we got Assassin's Creed Unity. Now... I also want to mention one other thing, because this is kind of the first time this has really come up on my show. Memes! Insert kitten thing here. <clears throat> Memes are not reality. I, I, I know, shocking. But the reason I bring that up is because in my experience, not just professionally, just in general, if you hear a common meme or a common uh, topic, I don't, I don't know what else to call that, you know, like... like of course, I can't think of any examples right now. I'm sure you could think of examples if you think about it. You know, you just hear everyone rag about X, and it's this one specific thing. And statistically speaking, most of the time, it's not true. All I'd really known about Assassin's Creed Unity walking into this was the memes. You know, the, the, the textures not loading, and the bugginess, and the fact that it was barely playable, and yada, yada, yada. All that stuff, right? And so, naturally, I walked in not really considering any of that into the equation, because that's just memes and that's not reality, as we just discussed. So, having walked in with what is effectively a blank slate, I do have to admit I was kind of looking forward to this game. Every Assassin's Creed game has had janky controls, at least for me. Every single one I've ever played. I have never played one that has jankier controls than this one. And it's hard to describe without just actually sitting down and showcasing it. It was visible on screen. We actually started joking about the fact that Arnaud actually had anxiety. And thus, that's why, periodically, he simply wouldn't do things that he otherwise should. I can't tell you how many times he would have trouble entering an open window. Or climbing up a ladder. Or, or a section of wall that is climbable. Or sometimes he would refuse to jump down. And just stuff like that. It's the usual jank, but it was dialed up to 11. I can only speculate on why. It feels like the terrain was painted with interactable st stuff, which I imagine most of these Assassin's Creed games are, but because of the new climb-up, climb-down mechanic, they were painted, but then they had to have context-sensitive input in order to work for the grabbing, which sometimes they just didn't. I'll come back to that, kind of. This is also... <sighs> Let me go and admit something. I don't mind the the Assassin's Creed model. I talked about that during Assassin's Creed Rogue's Rumination, which at this point was like six years ago. and Or five years ago? It's been a while. I talked about that. I, I've, I'm not bored with the Assassin's Creed series. I don't have that particular issue. And I don't uh, see any real problem with the Ubisoft format, as long as it's a good game underneath it. I can, I can and have enjoyed quite a few of these the Ubisoft style of games. But I've never seen a game that has quite the same map vomit that this game had. Every now and again, just to reiterate, to make sure that you know my viewers understood, I would pull the map out, zoom all the way out, and say, all right, point to where the main quest is on the map. Most of the time, 
they couldn't. Now, yes, there's filters, but the filters are bad, and even when you filter, it still doesn't look particularly good. What really caught me, though, pretty early on, I decided to go ahead and start doing what I normally do in Assassin's Creed game, which is sweep. You know, once you have access to the overworld, you go around, you get the towers, and you get the chests, you do the side quests, you do these side... You know, you clear out the map, right? I had swept all but two things from one of the zones, and I noticed that the map for it barely looked different. It did look different, but only if I was paying attention. And that exact moment is when I decided not to go ahead and continue sweeping, and I just sort of walked away from it. <laughs> now, you might think, well, you still did the side quests, right? Yes, I did up to a certain point, and I spent almost an entire session, which is about five hours, just doing the random side quests. And then I decided to stop doing those, too, because they are what I refer to as tasks. Really quick, for those of you who don't remember, it goes mandatory main quests, optional main quests, side quests, tasks. And tasks are the bottom rung for a good reason. They don't really have any meat to them gameplay or story-wise. They're just there to fill up time. Or, or in off, often cases, they're there as a form of grinding to get you money, experience, equipment, crafting materials, whatever. And that's it. And the overwhelming majority of side quests in this game were tasks. The investigations were not. I actually enjoyed the investigations, and they were the only side quests that I actually enjoyed. The main quests weren't super well designed either, but at least they didn't irritate me as much as some of the previous ones did, so that's something. But I talked about that going up and down thing a little bit. Um, there's... Actually, let me rewind a second. The next thing I want to talk about here is... I want to talk about the... Stats in this game. Now, allow me to give my incredibly uninformed, unprofessional, never-made-of-game-in-my-life opinion on this one. I don't think these kinds of statistics and levels should exist within an Assassin's Creed game. I don't think it fits the format. I think that the format should be more structured towards you have five different types of weapons, they have different attack speeds, different attack arcs, the way they interact with different types of enemies varies. In this very game, for example, heavy weapons and spears had a chance to interrupt enemies' attacks, but not always, and only if you timed it right. Whereas the sword was much quicker and easier to use, especially if you're going to go full parry build, because you can just parry like that and immediately counterattack without losing any time. The king of this in this particular series for me would be Assassin's Creed Origins, a.k.a. my personal favorite when it comes to a combat model. Love the combat in Assassin's Creed Origins. If I could have the ship stuff of four the combat of Origins, and the story of I'm not sure which, I would have the perfect Assassin's Creed game for me. I think that varying the weapon styles, varying the tools you have in your arsenal, varying the types of enemies you fight, that's where the gameplay should be. I don't think there should be damage values, per se, on weapons. Like, you know, what I'm trying to say there is, obviously a mace should, you know, a heavy maul should hit more than a little dagger, but that's not what I'm talking about. There shouldn't be eight different kinds of heavy mauls which slow, which have better damage or better parry rating or whatever. You know, remove the RPG elements. Because in my opinion, all that does is create a grind. It doesn't flow smoothly within the format, and in my opinion, actually gets in the way of it, since the actual combat, the actual gameplay, the core loop of it, doesn't change at all. All that changes is whether or not you are two-shotting enemies or if they are three-shotting you. Although that's not all the time a thing either. Sometimes, the, another thing they did in this game, I feel like they tried to de-emphasize combat, which is funny given what I just said. 
they try to push the stealth angle, which makes a degree of sense. And Lord knows Arno is the serial killer. Anybody who's followed the Assassin's Creed series knows I give a title based on the overall combat style of each of the, the main characters. Well, Arno is the serial killer. He just he comes across as that really, really obviously. Anyways, but the, the, the whole style of the game and the approach of it seems to lean more towards don't get caught, don't get detected, disguise yourself. Sneak your way through, drop the smoke bomb, etc., etc. You know, leaning more more tools and more emphasis on stealth than on combat, which is fine. Except for the fact that it also feels like, in order to emphasize that, they made the enemies aggro you easier than they normally would. Only sometimes, though. There are times when I'd be walking around in a non-blue or red area, just wandering through, and an enemy would just aggro me. And I couldn't even tell you why that happened. Sometimes they don't, of course. Sometimes you can assassinate an enemy when you're in when you're in yellow state with them, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can actually uh, actually have good autosave design, where if you complete a specific objective within a quest, you get an autosave, and sometimes you don't. This is all leading up to my overall biggest complaint about this game by far. Not the janky controls or the janky controls or the janky controls. It's the inconsistency. Now, I don't know how much of this is bugs, I don't know how much of this is the PC port, which is what I was playing. I don't know how much of this is the fact that this game was rushed. It could be all three, these are not mutually exclusive. But this game is probably the most inconsistent AC game I've ever played, because I, and I was doing tests as I played, I would try the exact same scenario with the exact same setup, and sometimes it would work, and sometimes it wouldn't. And this was just across the board, I just listed about five or six different examples of this, there are more. And that's just aggravating. If I could use an analogy here, and I use this on the stream, I want you to imagine that you're in school. Okay, stop, stop screaming. Stop, stop, stop. It's okay. It's okay. You're not actually in school. It's just, it's just an exercise. So you're in school. The teacher comes over and goes, whap, on your hand. Now, you don't know why. You don't know why the teacher does. You don't know what you did wrong. So you're just sitting there like, okay, okay. And periodically, inconsistently, teacher will come back around, whap, right on the back of hand again. Now that hurts, and it's unpleasant. But what's worse is the inconsistency of it. Because you don't know what you did wrong, and because it happens intermittently rather than on a regular schedule, you get all tense, right? Like, I, I bet you can picture that emotional state of just kind of slightly clenching up a little bit as you're just waiting for the next whap to come. And it's not happening. That's okay. So we're just going just gonna to chill here. Everything's fine. Everything's... Ah! And that's what it felt like playing this game. Narratively, I've talked for years about the fact that I feel that the main characters of these series are literally superhuman. I stand by that. Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey was the first game to actually, no really, on camera, confirm the supernatural, superhuman nature of our main characters with Cassandra and Alexios. But uh, I think his name is Alexios. The dude. I can't, I can't remember. I played as Cassandra. But... I've had that theory since Assassin's Creed 1 with Altair, and it was confirmed with 2, in, in my mind, it was confirmed in 2 with Ezio. But here we see, I, I'd never, because I never played Unity before, I didn't realize they'd actually confirmed on camera that there was actually a superpower here, psychometry. Arno has the ability to literally, you know, kill someone and read parts of their memories. Now, you might say, well, that's just the usual post-killing, you know, requiescat in pace thing. 
But he actually references this in a cutscene when he's talking to the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. That pulls it from the realm of gameplay into the realm of canon. That's interesting. And I found myself thinking how cool that would be if they just embraced that. Just go full X-Men with it. Just make it so that each one of the protagonists has one shtick, one ability, one power, if you will, that they can use. And they can use their kit as part of that particular game. It would be a good way to vary up the gameplay in each game as well. We came up with a few ideas. I'm not going to bore you with them, but if you have any you want like to share, I'd be love to hear them in the comment section. Either way, he has this psychometry thing, and it's a great tool. Psychometry is an excellent tool for storytelling. It's a shame they don't use it for that in this one. This is called Assassin's Creed Unity, which I obviously assume to mean there's some kind of unification going on. Now, that's clearly not the French Revolution, so maybe that has something to do with the Assassin's Brotherhood and the Templar. This brings me to missed potential number two. I really would have loved it if this led to the destruction of the Assassin's Brotherhood and the Templar Order as the major world powers, the two sides, the Horde and the Alliance. My opinion. Because, in that, because the whole game, and this is what they show in the game, the Brotherhood is inept and incompetent. And this is also following through from both Three and Rogue, by the way, if you're paying attention. And they are <laughs> infighting, self-destructive. And so are the Templars. There's literally two Templar factions presented in this game, although we predominantly only see the one faction. So why not embrace that? Well, obviously you have to have the Templars and the Assassins in the future. One of my viewers, uh, Kira Whitener, I believe, had an excellent idea there. Why not make it and map it out so that the Assassins and the Templars after this game, are no longer ideologically opposed to each other. Oh, they're still enemies, and they're still two factions, but they are, in almost every way that matters, the same faction, just one of them dislikes the other. Same general methods, same general approach, same pseudo-cult. And I kind of liked that idea. There's other ideas I think we could do better with, but that would involve actually retconning several games prior to this one. Instead, what we get is... Uh... Hmm... What would we call this? Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, there's an earlier part in this scene where the Jedi Order, sorry, the Brotherhood, the Council of the Brotherhood, decides to eject Arno for no good reason while refusing to listen to him. It's also worth noting that in this very game, they insist that the Brotherhood has to follow questions without order and then gets irritable when people don't think for themselves. So that's a nice symbol to signal the show there. But anyways, the cult, excuse me, the, the Jedi, decided to kick Arno out. Okay. Now, while they were doing it, I'm sitting here thinking, well, this is so stupid that they're in on it. I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense. Obviously, they are part of the ploy that Germain was actually doing. So, okay, cool. No, they're just that stupid. Oh, that's a bit of a pity. What I would like to do is I would have probably, again, this would have involved retconning or having planned all this out, which obviously they didn't since Assassin's Creed 1 was originally a Prince of Persia game and it wasn't even supposed to be any of this. I would have the Templars and the Assassins effectively cease to exist as major entities as of this game. Just thunk, chop it off. And have this game be about that, that major moment. And what better time to set that than during the French Revolution? By the way, minor complaint. Why do we get so much of Desaad? Of all characters, we couldn't have had Lafayette. We already had Napoleon. We couldn't have actually been with Robespierre. No, no, no. We get Desaad in multiple cutscenes and the DLC. Thanks, game. Anyways, the game... 
the game does this build up, kind of, but then it doesn't build it up and then it doesn't pay it off. This is probably the most obvious when Bellic turns on us and there's this big confrontation scene, which in no way has it earned. At no point in time do I feel like I care at all about what's happening. And the whole time I'm just like, oh, dude, really? <laughs> and the the game's trying to portray it as this big moment. And it felt like it probably... And, and, and earlier in the game, we have this big moment, which feels like a big, massive character turning point for Arno. Problem. It's the second part of the entire game. In my actual notes for the review, I mentioned the word unearned several times. And that's on purpose, because while you can see what they're going for in most of the story beats, it's clear no one actually had the time or effort or care or interest or budget or whatever to sit down and actually massage it out. Because that's how most writing works. You come up with a beat or two or three. You come up with what I call the skeleton of a story. And then you make it make sense, and then you make it make good. Because the skeleton by itself can or can't be good. That that It isn't, is what I'm trying to say. It isn't good. It isn't not good. It's a skeleton. You need to actually flesh it out to make it one or the other. If you just leave it as a skeleton, then that's probably bad, because it's going to feel unearned. Right? Let me use a direct comparison. How many of you played Assassin's Creed 4? Great game, in my opinion. In Assassin's Creed 4... Almost at the very end of the game, one of the final story beats of the entire game, is this big confrontation, uh, big internal confrontation for Edward, where everything is just crashing down, he's getting super drunk, and he's having this vision, and it's it's this really cool presentation of, of in-gameplay stuff, where the world is crashing and destroying around him, and he's just got to keep going, and blah, blah, blah. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds almost exactly like the cutscene I'm referencing with regards to Arnaud, which is at the beginning of this game. You see the problem here? The scene itself is actually surprisingly well presented and executed. It's just at the beginning of the game, for a character I barely know or care about, regarding ev events that have literally happened less than minutes ago. Now, Arnaud, who you notice I've barely talked about at all, uh, well, let's actually not talk about it in general. Let's talk about Elise, because Elise it has so much more charisma than him, I am actually embarrassed that he she is not the main character instead of him. That this could have been following her. This could have even been a thing where he ends up joining the Templar, the one Templar faction, or maybe something like that. Maybe have the unity theme come up in some way. I don't know, just spitballing here. But thankfully, she doesn't get killed until she does. I'm not sure why they bothered with that either while I'm on the subject. You... <laughs> All right, I'll talk about Arno. Because <laughs> I, I don't have much else to say about Elise. She, she has a character arc. She has a better voice actress. She has more charm and charisma. She has more badassery. I'll never talk <laughs> than write. Probably the best scene of the game, by the way. But what does Arno have going for him? A comparison we made a lot during the stream was Arno versus Connor. But I will admit, having played through Assassin's Creed 3 twice, and this game just the once, I think I'd prefer Connor over Arno because he's just such a nothing burger. If you were to actually take out the, the you know those internet personality quizzes you do, and you go down, and it's like, hey, what do we, all right, what's my personality? Well, Arno's personality is pocket watch. Yes, I borrowed that joke. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't. Why sully us with this? Think about the Assassin's Creed protagonists. 
think about Ezio, the big one. Think about Altair and Edward and Bayek, even Cassandra. Think about all these characters. And I know there's the person in Valhalla. I haven't played Valhalla yet. Uh, and I haven't played Syndicate yet, obviously. All of these characters have at least something going for them. Arno is the biggest cardboard cutout I've ever played as. He really only does have two character traits, Elise and his pocket watch. And everything he does is centered around those two points. Now, you can have pillar storytelling, where everything rotates around one central pillar. But that's not this. He's literally trying to get his pocket watch back, which he himself gambles away and loses because he gets super drunk for no reason, because he was kicked out of an order he had no investment in. What? But then there's the fact that everything else he does is for Elise, which, okay, I can kind of get behind that, at least that makes sense, but there's nothing there. They don't do anything with it. They don't analyze it. They don't examine it. It has no impact on his character or the arc or the plot. And this leads me to my final complaint here. This game is about the French Revolution, right? No. In contrast to Assassin's Creed III, which, where the dominant part of the plot was actually focused on the American Revolution, here, the French Revolution is mostly just a backdrop backstory to the main plot, which is... It is my opinion that they removed the focus on the historical event in direct reaction to the complaints about Assassin's Creed III and the focus on the American Revolution. So... They did, but they didn't replace it with anything. So there is no central main plot. Nowhere is this more obvious than in the DLC, where at several points in time in the DLC, I legitimately wasn't sure what we were trying to accomplish or why, other than helping Leon out and trying to prevent Napoleon from getting something, which was probably of Isu nature, and that's it. Lo and behold, those are the only two plot points there. There's nothing there, is my point. <sighs> But I do have one last thing to comment on. The city's gorgeous. The only thing that salvaged this game's narrative, the story axis, was the city. Because the city was the best character of the game. That's not a joke. The number of NPCs, the, the architecture, the indoorsness that they did in several areas, the layout, you know, the, just this traversing it. Um... As you go through the main plot, as you progress through the French Revolution, the fact that it just kind of goes to hell around you bit by bit. We go from people yelling at the thing to more and more troops, towards places being on fire, towards piles of corpses, blood smeared all over the guillotine. Some really awesome presentation on that respect, and I will 100% give them credit for that. Because Paris was the best character of the game. What do you think? I do look forward to your comments, as always, and I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time.